You're listening to another AmbitiousEntrepreneurNetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Network Overdrive Podcast, the podcast for professional services businesses, where we'll show you how to drive your productivity and profitability using technology. So welcome to the show. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Starting a small consulting firm and guiding its growth to generate revenues in excess of $100 million and then list the company on the UK Stock Exchange is just one of the many achievements my guest has listed on his CV. Mario Vecchio joins me today, an Australian Australian success story in technology, innovation, and building high-growth B2B companies. He's an expert and thought leader in using technology to drive profitability for small to medium-sized companies, as well as large corporates, specialising in professional services. Cisco Systems, Simmons, and Juniper Networks are just some of the companies he's worked with during his 25 years' experience in the information technology-related markets. His impressive career has given him extensive experience and knowledge of diverse sectors, including professional services with a technology focus, networking, telecommunications, healthcare, banking and finance, utilities and retail. Unfortunately, though, we hear many stories about the challenges and hurdles that ambitious Australian entrepreneurs face each and every day, struggling to get access to the resources and support they need to launch and grow their great ideas. Mario has been able to succeed where many others have not. And on today's show, Mario is going to share the key insights he's learned, including the lessons he learned early on in his career, which underpinned the success of his consulting business. Time is money. Why so many professional service businesses will continue to struggle with inefficiencies, and it's not what you think, as well as the key factors all professional services businesses must have in place to grow a successful and profitable business. Welcome to the show, Mario. Thank you, Anne-Marie. You have an incredibly impressive career that spans more than two decades, as we mentioned, and I'm sure there are many lessons that you've learned along the way and throughout that time that really have been critical to the success that you've been able to achieve. Now, before we dive into those key areas you want to share insights around today, let's take a look back to where it all began, particularly your passion for IT and later in the area of consulting. Basically, um, my passion from IT came from quite a young age. And as a probably a creative thinker, you tend to go where disruption is and you tend to go where innovation is. Mm -hmm. And in my generation at that time, as it is today, technology is still the area where most disruption happens in economics and most innovation happens. So it's always been a keen interest for me based on those those criteria. So tell us a little bit about some of the key areas that you now very much bring into your consulting practice that you've learned through that time. Sure. Lessons learned is also equated to uh, deep scarred wounds. It's the same principle. And what happens is your lessons learned are valuable because uh, if you don't learn from those lessons and you keep making those mistakes, that's where you fail. The trick is to really learn from those lessons. And I guess the most fortunate thing for me was that being a young man in Cisco in the early days of Cisco Systems, it was a, a young company and it was growing very, very quickly. And you learn exactly what they did as an organisation to scale a company globally. 
uh, what they did as a company to be successful, to dominate markets as a young company that they were. So being part of that team in the early days was very strong grounding for me to be able to use that in my business life later on. Mm -hmm. It was uh, uh, one of those things that uh, experience that was very, very helpful. So we want to dive into talking about time is money, and I'm sure that everybody has heard that saying. However, many professional service businesses, they are struggling and they will continue to struggle with inefficiencies. Why is that? Basically, what I've discovered is that around productivity, technology is a huge productivity enabling tool for consulting firms, and many of them don't use the tools that are available to them to create productivity for themselves. Also, Australian firms tend to not provide their staff with the level of responsibility and autonomy that they need and to create a culture around productivity as well. Mm -hmm. So I find that that tends to be one of the biggest blockers from a cultural perspective within small consulting firms. Mm -hmm. And do you find as the smaller consulting firms tend to increase in size, obviously their business starts to grow, and we're going to dive in a little bit deeper into the the various growth spurts and what we need to do in each of those. But do you find also too that they can particularly struggle because they're not aware as they continue to grow, get more team, get more clients, that a lot of the systems don't change to keep up and maintain what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is they typically start with no systems. If their business is growing, if they're successfully growing their business, they reach a break point where no systems means anarchy and chaos and confusion. And so because they put nothing in, it's difficult to jump in at a later stage than it is at a much earlier stage. With the way technologies work today, it's actually far simpler to jump in early than it is to jump in later. Whereas if you go back just five years ago, it was not as simple to jump in earlier. The cost barriers were much higher, but the cost barriers today are much lower. So companies need to leverage those technologies that are available from day one. Before we start talking about some of those key factors, I heard that you have coined a theory, if you will, the theory of relativity. Tell us a little bit about what that theory of relativity is. Well, it's a silly term, obviously, but when it comes to particularly small, medium-sized businesses, the basic principle on how they operate and how they are successful is what I call the theory of relativity. And the theory of relativity is when someone's relative is involved. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that typically you do business with someone you trust. Now, it may not, I'm being facetious by saying someone's relative, but it might be a friend or a friend of a friend. So typically when you go out and look for, if you need a plumber to come to your house, most people don't go and look online to go and find a plumber, they'll speak to their neighbour or they'll speak to their sister or father or mother and say, do you know a good plumber? And therefore, the advice they give you, you have that as trusted advice. Yes. And so therefore, you will trust that plumber to come and do the job that you need done. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call about the theory of relativity. Really, it's it's based around trust and relationships. Mm -hmm. And what small businesses tend to fail to recognise is how strong those trust relationships are, especially in the early days. Now, as the as an organisation becomes a large corporate, it becomes less of an issue. Mm-hmm. But for small to medium-sized businesses, 
trust at the customer level is the critical factor. So many businesses, they hear of what's going on in social media and the digital world and so forth, but really it all comes back to the relationships that you're building with your team, with key stakeholders, and of course your clients are very much part of that as well, aren't they? They sure are. And people also underestimate the relationships that their staff have with their trusted network. Yes. And that needs to be leverage but leverage properly and and appropriately Mm -hmm. to help them grow their business because it is a trusted network that makes a business successful especially in the early days. Oh absolutely and uh, I have heard from many a colleague uh, who has been working for organizations where their systems are not working it's taking them a lot longer their system breakdowns that is a huge way to break trust with staff if they're not able to do their job properly because of failing technologies. Absolutely. and But also sometimes a breakdown, as long as it's repaired properly, yes. are the best customers you can have. Yes. So, you know, breakdowns shouldn't be seen as failures. They need to be seen as an opportunity to create more trust than where you started from. Absolutely. If you do a good job of it, your customers will trust in you more. Oh, absolutely. How we respond, certainly. So we're talking about the key factors that all professional service businesses must have in place to grow a profitable business. And one of the key areas of thought leadership, which you share when it comes to helping professional services grow and build a profitable business, is that you know that there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. And you've identified, let me just break this down for everyone, you've identified five different stages of business that a professional service business will go through. The stage one is five to 10 staff. A stage two is when they have 10 to 20 staff. Stage three, I believe, is when they have 20 to 50 staff. Stage four, 50 to 120 staff. And then stage five is 120 plus staff. You've identified those five stages because you, through your career, have been in each of those business stages. I have, yes. And I've painfully gone through each one of those. (laughs) Each one of those. (laughs) So so I often say, you know, starting a business, growing it to 20 people is the simplest phase. Mm. Most people find that the most difficult phase, but it's actually the simplest phase because as long as you've got a good idea and you've got a good service and you have a trusted network Mm. that you can engage with as in customer base, then you're off to a great start. And the ability with a one to 20 person business is you know everybody. You know everybody in the team. You have a personal relationship with everybody and you can effectively influence each one of those people on your own. Mm. And and so what I mean by simple, yeah, business is never simple. What I mean by that is your direct influence as the CEO or the owner of, and the owner of the company is the the ability to insert and influence your culture on those 20 individuals. Yes. And it tends to be a typically a pretty close-knit team. Everyone's working for each other. Everyone kind of knows the direction you're going in based on what type of CEO you are, what type of business person you are. Mm-hmm. But that's a typical premise for what I see and mm. and certainly how it happened to me from my my business perspective. Yes. So you're saying that from five to 20 staff, that is quite a simple business process. But then we start to look at the business stage three, where we're getting into the 20 to 50 staff range. What typical problems and issues do you see starting around that business stage that businesses need to be aware of? Sure. So so now it, it 
It's based on your culture and how you perceive you want to run your business. And I often say there's two modes. There's probably more than two modes, but let's talk about two modes today. One is there's a CEO and a business owner that just wants to stay at 20 people, Mm -hmm. and they're absolutely happy with that, and they never want to take their business beyond that. If you're a business owner that wants to grow beyond that and has aspirations to grow your business, now what you've got to do, now you've got a new challenge. Mm. As you're hiring beyond 20 people, you start to know the people less. Mm. You can't manage each one of those people because you've literally run out of time in the day to do it. Yes. And, And so therefore, now you start to lose contact with your own staff. Mm. And what you need to do typically is you need to put a couple of managers in place to do that. And so now you've got to entrust your business to somebody else, which can be a really difficult process for a business owner to do. And so that's a difficult phase to transition from, I'm going to let my finance guy run the finance team, I'm going to let my sales manager run the sales team or the operations team, depending on what type of CEO you are can be a difficult transition for people to do. Yes. I transitioned from that personally myself without much problem. The mistake I made at that point in time is the technologies I put into my business when we were that size, in effect, were Band-Aids, right? Mm -hmm. They were small business technologies that I didn't see the scale of what my business was going to become. Mm. And I just put in a bunch of tools and, and systems that in hindsight didn't have the ability to grow. Yes. Right. And so the right thing to do at that point in time, the right critical thing to do in that point in time now, and it's much easier now, by the way. Mm. So with the way that cloud services are available and software services are available is to make sure you put a platform in place right there and then right at that point in time that can scale with the aspirations you've got of your business. Yes. Because you don't want to take systems out and put new systems in later because, as I'll explain in a moment, it becomes very expensive to do Mm. that. Trying to change things because of the issues that have developed can be far more costly than if you put something into place and then that allows your business to, to grow. Are there any other areas that you want to share today with people when we are around that growth stage with that many people? Are there any other considerations we need to be aware of? Well, I often say there's very small amount of considerations. One is culture. Mm. Make sure you maintain the culture of the business the way you want it and that the people you put in place to manage on your behalf mm. now have the same cultural approach that you do and the same vision that you do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your business is going to change the way you don't want it to change. Yes. So that's really important. Those first few managers are critical mm. to what the culture stage is set for the next generation of people coming through. So so that's really one important point. The other important point is a business is all about people. We talk about technology, but it's all about people. And hiring the very best people you can is critically important. And also what's critically important is if you've made a mistake and hired a wrong person, don't let it linger. Mm -hmm. Deal with it straight away. I've heard someone say, Hire slow, fire fast. fast. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I completely, and it's it's hard to do because mm. you tend to be emotionally involved in your yes. business. And so my advice is from experience, mm. if someone's not a fit now, don't expect them to be a fit later. Yeah. They're, they're not a fit 
make a decision and move on. Because I think when you have staff there or a manager who's just not performing or any team that's not performing, not only are they impacting from their own performance, they'll impact the other team's performance because often uh, it really does trickle through. So you're talking about culture being very important because you've got managers who are then overseeing the team and you need to, as a CEO, be very mindful that you are communicating your vision, hiring the right people. When we then go into business of state, four, which really is around the 50 to 120. Obviously, these things are very important, culture, the right team, systems, technology. What other areas at that stage do you find becomes an issue if we don't have the right steps, systems and people in place? So one of the critical factors is now you've become a budgeting company. What's the budget? How much are we going to make? How much are we going to sell? What's it going to cost? So now you must have all of your budgeting cycles done Mm -hmm. and in place and stick to your rules around your budget planning. Mm -hmm. If you want to grow, I always say, if you want to grow a business quickly and profitably, the best way to do it is have a 20% net profit on the bottom line. If you can achieve that in the business you're in, you have no requirements for external funding you should be able to fund yourself through any growth phase. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a business running at, you know, 5% net or 5 to 7% net profit, it becomes a challenge, Mm -hmm. right, to do that. And now once you go to the next level, you're never typically never as profitable as you were before. And what I mean by that is the highest profit days were, potentially when you're between one and 20 people Mm. because your profit per head was quite high because your overheads were much lower. Mm. Now that you've got a management team in place, your profit per head will actually fall. Mm -hmm. So now budgeting and planning around your finances becomes critical. But it's really important to have those and stick to those financial processes. That now becomes a critical phase of your business. Yes. Right? This may be quite new for many CEOs of businesses. So when you're talking about budgeting and being very mindful, monitoring and tracking, what kind of tracking process did you put in place? Like obviously you've got your annual budgets that you need to do, but did you find in your business that to make sure you were on track, because obviously if you're not monitoring things, we can't correct things. What typically did you do as a business to just continue to reflect and see how you were tracking through the year? So basically... Uh, From our perspective, remember I I said earlier, I made the mistake of putting in a technology platform that wasn't going to scale. But that technology platform actually gave us pretty good visibility of our business. So we could see within 48 hours of the close of a business day what the 48 hours prior looked like from a profitability perspective. Mm. And we're able to do that through the different software platforms that we put in place from job costing through to inventory management, through to a pretty good CRM system in this particular case, and making sure culturally people would put the right information in Mm. to get the result you did. So you spend a lot of time educating people about why those things are important so you can get the results out. My problem was that I got to a point where my business was scaling quickly Uh, My profit wasn't a problem, but my systems couldn't grow. So now by this stage, my business has grown grown up to around 100 people. So let's just talk about that and I'll I'll talk about the systems piece next. So what happens when you get to the next stage of heading towards 100, 120 people? Once again, culture is still important. Vision is important. 
sharing of knowledge is really important. But now what you have to do is you actually have to break your business apart to get focus back to where it was. And what I mean by that is you typically split your business up into business units or you could call them divisions or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. I called them business units in my company. And so you then had a person who had their own P&L for a business unit and therefore they had the responsibility of that on the shared vision, on the shared strategy for that business unit. Once again, you handed down the authority and the autonomy to that person to run to the vision, to the strategy and to the budget requirements. Mm. And you could measure them that way. From my perspective, I was well away. I still obviously kept as many people as I could in the business and you never stepped away from the business, but you let everybody else run the business for you. Mm. And and once again, that's a really difficult, now a new and difficult phase for a CEO to be able to entrust people to do those things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that micromanaging is yeah. you just don't want to do that. Do and you? and mm. in, in, inevitably there are people who will never do it as good as you mm. and inevitably you have to let people fail and you have to educate them from their failures. Mm. Instead of berate them from their failures, you have to educate them from their Even though it costs you personally money, Yes, right, you have to continue to educate them from their, their failures. And once again, if it's the wrong person and it's the wrong culture, you need to deal with that right up front. Yes. But if you believe it's the right person with the right culture and the right ambition and the right, the right personality, then you have to continue to educate knowledge and coach those people through your your role really becomes head coach Mm. and if you look at uh, how football teams run today they run exactly on that model they've got multiple assistant coaches and a head coach and the head coach is just the people manager really he doesn't talk to the players that much uh, and figure out what their plays are Uh, so that's really what your role ends up being. I like the way that you've said you've broken your teams down into business units because then you could track unit to unit. So rather, where are we going wrong? It could be a specific unit. Just if we reflect back, was it units or staff that worked with a particular demographic of client? Just to give people an idea of the the units that you broke your company into. Sure. It was. It was a demographic of client. Mm. So in in my particular business, we, we looked after people in the mining and uh, minerals industry. So we had people specifically targeted to looking after that that demographic mm. or that, that domain. And then we had someone in healthcare looking after healthcare and we had a team of people looking after um, utilities in this mm. particular case. So they were skilled in the knowledge of what the business requirements were for those industries. And we had some cross-functional units from a technology perspective, and obviously finance and administration was cross-functional across the business. Fantastic. Great, great insight. So then we look at the next business phase, which is the business stage five, where we have 120 plus staff. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges you were faced with when you grew to that stage. As I intimated before, now I was faced with a bunch of IT systems that weren't going to take us to the next level. We'd gone out of Australia into multi-countries and we had multi-currencies to deal with. We had multiple entities to deal with. And so all of a sudden our systems became a lot more complex, a lot quicker. And of course, the systems that we had could not manage that environment. So I set about a team to put together a uh, requirements document for what the business needed for what's called an ERP system today. Mm-hmm. I set about get them to go and do that. The interesting thing was my goal was, and I told them this, was I would ideally like to see 
individual solutions for the specific requirements instead of one big solution for uh, for the whole company. Yes. Because I think best of breed across platforms like a best of breed finance platform, a best of breed CRM platform, a best of breed project management platform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. was my ideal goal of... Yeah. that could all talk together. That, that could, could all, all, all talk together. Yes. Yeah. That team came back with the complete reverse. They said, no, we think it's better to go a fully integrated solution which in this case we chose Oracle software, not that I'm having a go at Oracle at all, because everything's integrated. We don't have to integrate it together and it's a, mm. and it'll, it'll make it much easier for us. What I asked them to do at the same time was to build a scope to say build all the consulting house that's going to build the software for us, all the functionality you need now so I can get a price that's locked away and I know that's all I'm going to spend. Now, the reality is most businesses sometimes don't know what they don't know. And that was in the case with my team. They underspect what they thought they needed versus what we actually needed. And they underestimated what it was going to cost to get what we needed. Mm. So to cut a long story short, what was an original investment of $140,000 for us cost me close to a million dollars. But it was over four years, right? We ended up getting what we wanted to get, but it was a million-dollar investment, yeah. And and which is something I obviously never wanted to do. So the lessons learned from that is I think any business that's under 500 people should look at individual platforms that are best of breed for for what they need and then integrate them together, which was originally my initial goal, yes. right? Now, in fairness to my team back then, mm. it's once again much easier, much more cost-effective to do today yes. than five years ago. Mm. You were before your time. <laughs> I was I was absolutely mm. a little bit before my time yeah. on that. So I, I would caution anyone that's looking to deploy an ERP system in their mm. company to think twice and to look at, at different solutions that are – software as a service base that you pay a monthly fee for that are leaders in the domain that they profess to be leaders in. Yes. If it's a service ticketing system, if it's a job costing system, don't try and get it all in one place. You're best to go into into those independent solutions. Yes. As business owners, we all say we need to become experts, masters in our field. And so when you look at an ERP that has so many different functions, you can then see that they can't be experts and, you know, top of game and best of breed, if you will, in all of those key areas. So what you're just sharing certainly makes sense. Absolutely. Not only that, we had to hire people full-time on staff to run the system as well. Mm. So it was, you know, one of those, it's it's a lesson learned that I'd like to share with everyone to yes. say, don't make the same mistake I made yes. along those lines. Mm. Take the advice and deal with it how you want to deal with it. <laughs> and, and to go on with the other questions about what happens at 120, what happens at 120 is because you've split your business up into business units now, those business units tend to be split up again. What the challenge you find is to keep a consistent culture across those, Mm. in effect, little cells of teams that work in their own domains. And to keep the communication flow across those cells is really, really 
an important factor. Mm. And there's much science on this. The most productive teams tend to be 10 people and less. Mm. I always look for where is there a team with more than 10 people? Mm. How do I split that team down into a smaller group to become more productive? And I always told my managers, do not have a team of any more than 10 people. If you do, let me know why. And of course, there were some cases where there was, but that was a rarity. So the trick is to continue to break your teams down into smaller, smaller cells and don't try and create them into into two big overwieldy organizations. Then what you've got to do is make sure now that your management team delivers the culture, the messaging, the vision across all of those cells. Mm. I in fact did call them cells in the end. Yes. yes. Um, towards the end of, of after I left the company. So from that perspective, that's a big change. Also what happens now is at 120 people, you you tend to be doing business with a lot more customers. Mm-hmm. So managing cu- your customers becomes a much bigger issue and having personal relationships with all those customers becomes a bigger challenge. Mm-hmm. So you have to put mechanisms in place to ensure that you don't lose the personalization across your customer base. And that's a really, really important factor that I found that I focused a lot of time on Mm -hmm. to do that. And breaking down into smaller cells was my way of being able to make sure that we had personalization down to the customer level instead of being this big, wieldy organization that no one knew actually who could answer the question. The other interesting thing is that I haven't talked much about cash flow through this discussion, but from day one to right up to 120 people, cash flow is king. Mm-hmm. And making sure that you, you you have your cash flow at your fingertips of knowledge, every step of those five journeys is critical. Mm. And that was one thing that I absolutely made sure that I knew where I was at from a cash position every day. What was the closing cash at the end of every day? <laughs> really important to me to make sure that we had all the cash reserves we need to fund our business going forward. And another piece of advice, some people think the bigger you get, the less cash flow becomes important. It's actually not true. It actually remains the same pain the whole way through. Just because you're a bigger company with more dollars, effectively, doesn't mean that you don't struggle with managing cash. The cash management issue is a constant issue no matter what, unless you've raised a bucket of money, it's mm-hmm. a different story. Now, I never did that. I never went out and raised external funds mm-hmm. for for my business. So for me, cash management was an important phase. The other advice across all of these phases of the business, and it becomes very critical once you get to 120-odd people, is your debtors. And that is people think because you're bigger, now you can afford to collect your money at 60 days or 90 days. It's not true. <laughs> it actually becomes more critical. Yes. And and I think any business that's not collecting money within 40 days, mm. that's a critical element of failure to their business. Mm. You need to be collecting cash, if you can, prior to 30 days, but never go past 40 days. Mm. Now, some people listening to this will say, but I deal with government and they always delay me. Well, I dealt with government too and I was able to collect money. If you do it properly and you communicate correctly, mm-hmm. you can actually collect money in 40 days the, on average. Yes. Now, that doesn't take into effect that if something's wrong with a the customer, they don't want to pay. That always happens, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is no matter where you are in that journey, the cash collection 
stays the same painful process all the way through. It might be someone else's responsibility. Yes. If you get the right team <laughs> right. members who right. love doing that job and do well at them doing well. Exactly. Oh, terrific. Well, look, you have shared some incredible nuggets with us. So I understand that you're now working because you've transitioned and you're now working with a small Australian business in the IT managed services fields, the MSP as they call them, to help them grow and increase their profitability while make an impact in the market. So just tell us a little bit about what motivated you to take this step? Once again, it's about people mm-hmm. and it's about cultural fit. And Greg, who runs Network Overdrive, I, we had a chemistry together that worked. I enjoyed his approach. I enjoyed how he thought about things. I could see he needed help from a business perspective. You know, he was a typical small business owner coming in this case from a technical background mm-hmm. and not a business background. So I took him through the journey of the steps that he needed to take to get his business from where it was to where it is today. And, you know, in 18 months or whatever it's been, we've probably doubled his business and, and probably a bit more and uh, and turn it into a, a good, strong, profitable business. And I know at Network Overdrive that uh, you now focus and help your clients focus across five key areas. And this is a process that you take all of these businesses through and you pinpoint where there are gaps, where there are inefficiencies. And of course, once you identify those gaps, you're then able to uh, move forward. You're also delivering, I believe, a one-day workshop for different uh, specialities around the country for companies with 20 or more more staff members. Tell us a little bit more about these workshops. Okay, so the one-day workshop is about a program we've put together that talks about the five profit stacks of business. And we take customers through what the five profit stacks are and we workshop those with them. And out of that highlights potentially where they're doing well and where they're Mm -hmm. not doing so well and where they need to put emphasis on their business from a profitability perspective and a growth perspective. Fantastic. And I believe that people can find out more information about your one-day workshop from the Network Overdrive website, which is www.networkoverdrive.com.au, networkoverdrive.com.au. I believe today you're also, Mario, offering a free two-hour workshop for a professional services business who wants to scale their business. However, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they try to do, the struggle still remains. Many of the struggles I'm sure that you mentioned uh, today with inefficiencies, their consultants are not as productive as what the CEO wants them to be and managing data is an extreme headache for them and the list goes on. So tell us a little bit more about what is this two-hour free workshop and what step do they need to take to enable them to register for one of them. The two-hour workshop is basically a condensed version of the one-day workshop. So what they get to learn is what the five profit stacks are and how they can have an impact on their business. Mm. And then what we do is we take them into a one-day workshop after that to actually workshop the profit stacks with them. And again, I would imagine that all they need to go is to the website, networkoverdrive.com.au to find out more. That is correct. Thank you, Mario. I think we could continue to chat uh, for ages because there's such a wealth of knowledge that you have and you've shared a lot of that today. So thank you so much for coming on the show and I look forward to speaking with you in the upcoming shows and the series that you'll be doing with us. Thank you very much. 